Welcome to Live at the National Constitution Center, the podcast sharing live constitutional conversations hosted by the National Constitution Center. I'm Jackie McDermott, the show's producer. Last month, the NCC hosted a musical performance and conversation about the women who fought for equal voting rights. On this episode, you'll hear the premiere performance of Resolved, songs about the 19th Amendment and the American women's suffrage movement by composer, soprano, and creator Patrice Michaels. Next, you'll hear a panel discussion featuring scholars Marsha Charlatane, Gail Harriet, and NCC exhibit developer Elena Popchok. NCC President Jeffrey Rosen moderates. Hello, I'm Patrice Michaels, composer of the music you're about to hear, Resolved, Songs of Women's Suffrage and the 19th Amendment. Over 170 years ago, a group of visionary Americans convened in Seneca Falls, New York, to reimagine the call of our founding fathers and proclaim their declaration of sentiments. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal. That's where our musical journey begins, in 1848 at the first ever women's convention from there We travel through time with Sojourner Truth, Alice Paul, Mary Church, Terrell, and many others, sharing the story of women's suffrage in the words of those who dreamed it, fought for it, and lived it. Our journey culminates with the ratification of the 19th Amendment, the 100th anniversary of which we celebrate today. And now, with heartfelt thanks to the National Constitution Center for hosting this celebration, and to our brilliant performers, internationally renowned mezzo-soprano Janae Bridges and Lyric Fest of Philadelphia pianist Laura Ward, it is my great honor to present Resolved. A convention a convention to discuss, to discuss the social, civil, and religious condition and rights. Discontent, rebel. 
1876. It was with the people
children. <laughs> if you Can't read. 
secure to themselves their sacred right to the elective franchise. The elective franchise is withheld from one half of its citizens, many of whom are of lexicographical acrobatics has been turned and twisted to mean all who were shrewd and wise enough to make themselves born boys instead of girls or who took the trouble to be born white instead of black Mrs. Stone of the National Suffrage Association and the women in charge of the entire parade have advised us to keep our delegation entirely white.
to terrorize and suppress us.
And now it is my great pleasure, friends, to introduce our amazing panel to talk about what we've just heard and to help us understand the ideas and the struggles in the biography of the women who we saw highlighted at the end of the video. So I'm now going to introduce our panelists. Uh, Marsha Chatelain is a provost, distinguished associate professor of history and African-American studies at Georgetown University. She co-hosts Slate's podcast, The Waves, which is a bi-weekly show that covers feminism, gender, and popular culture. She appeared in the PBS special, The Vote, honoring those who fought for women's suffrage in the US. And she's the author of three books, including her most recent book, Franchise, The Golden Arches in Black America. Uh, Marsha Shetland, welcome, and thanks so much for joining. And Gail Harriet is professor of law at the University of San Diego Law School and currently a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. She co-wrote the 19th Amendment's explainers for the National Constitution Center's interactive constitution uh, with Nancy Gertner, who was uh, sorry not to be able to join us uh, tonight. And I want you friends to go after the show to the interactive constitution and read Gail Harriet's uh, brilliant explanation of it, uh, as well as her separate statement about it. And she also served as an advisor to the Constitution Center's new 19th Amendment exhibit. Uh, welcome, Gail, Harriet. It's so great to Thanks, have you. Yeah. Wonderful. And my amazing colleague, Elena Popchak, is the exhibition developer at the National Constitution Center. I must once again express appreciation to her for her pathbreaking ability to bring to life stories in 
three-dimensional forms uh, and as well as the ideas behind them and to tell a constitutional, legal, and political story in such a galvanizing way is an extraordinary achievement that will adorn the National Constitution Center, I hope, forever. Uh, and since uh, she's been with us since 2016, and she also served as the lead developer for our equally inspiring exhibit, Civil War and Reconstruction, The Battle for Freedom and Equality. Elena, thank you, thank you, and thank you for joining tonight. Thanks so much, Jeff. It's great to be here. Wonderful. Well, let's jump right in to uh, the Great Song Cycle and the first text that we heard Janae Bridges sing so beautifully was by Susan B. Anthony. And the text that we heard from was her wonderful uh, resolution in 1872, resolved that the women of the nation in 1876 have greater cause for discontent, rebellion, and revolution than the men of 1776. And she ends, no self-respecting woman should wish or work for the success of a party that ignores her sex. Um, that followed the prelude, which of course was from the Seneca Falls Convention itself. Elena, I think I'll just ask you to start because you uh, had to decide where to begin the exhibit and what story to tell. How do you tell the story that begins in some ways, of course, before Seneca Falls, but we have the Seneca Falls Declaration and then you move to 1876 and to Susan B. Anthony. Tell us how the exhibit deals with that great story. Sure, so with every exhibit, you have to make a decision of where in time you're going to start. And we had a lot of conversations about it and we ended up starting in 1848. That is the first formal women's rights convention held in Seneca Falls, New York. Uh, but we knew we also had to help visitors understand, well, why were women fighting for the vote? at that time, why were they fighting for other rights such as you know, rights to their own property, their children, wages, all of these very important things and working with uh, in particular Gail on this part of the exhibit uh, to make sure people understood the right to vote um, at that time was limited to certain men by 1848 and the, that fighting for suffrage was only one demand among many at Seneca Falls. And we hear that and read that in the Declaration of Sentiments, which we do have a rare printing in the exhibit. Um, and I'll fast forward a little bit in time to get to Susan B. Anthony and how we do feature her in the exhibit, particularly when during Reconstruction, she, like many other women, tried to go to the polls and argue that the 14th Amendment granted her citizenship and she should be able to vote. And she was ultimately arrested and fined um, and charged with illegally voting. And we have a letter that she wrote a couple months after she did that. And she's expressing her surprise and shock at having actually been convicted for that crime. But it certainly uh, was an example for all other women who were trying that tactic. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Marsha Shetland, there's so much to say, of course, about the evolution from Seneca Falls to 1876, but what would you like to highlight about uh, Susan B. Anthony? Well, I think that Susan B. Anthony and all the women who are featured in this cycle represent something that I often explain to my students about the deep um, animating energy of this movement. Um, these women were incredibly intellectually engaged, thoughtful people who had spent years in both formal and informal study, and to understand your capacities in a society, and then know that they are cut off by these legal mechanisms, 
is something that is incredibly poignant and sustains a lot of movements. And I think that the other part of um, understanding the origins of this iteration of women's rights struggle is to understand that um, women in a number of capacities were already um, being citizens and they didn't have the formal right to vote. And I think that this is a really important thing for us to note that while voting is an incredibly powerful act for the majority of our nation's history, when people were excluded from the ballot, they still were being good citizens by creating community resources, by supporting each other. And so I think that for a lot of these women, um, while they're listening to these often sexist debates about their capacity, they knew what they were able to do. And they were able to use those collective energies in order to make a case for um, women's suffrage. Uh, Gail, Harriet, in your definitive uh, explainer on the interactive constitution, you uh, note that women were indeed voting in the colonial era in New Jersey. They had the right to vote until 1807 and then it was rescinded. What would you like our friends to know about that important transition point that uh, maybe begins with the declaration at uh, Seneca Falls and then, and then takes us up to Susan B. Anthony in 1876? You mean you don't want me to talk about New Jersey? New Jersey you know, please do. Please do. <laughs> There were actually women voting in New Jersey, uh, starting with their 1776 constitution, which might have been a mistake. I don't know whether they really intended that, uh, but they said all inhabitants who otherwise, you know, have the property qualification and all could vote. And then in the 1790s, they made it clear that, yes, they meant women. But then in the very early 19th century, there were all sorts of, of, of voter fraud allegations, including allegations that, that some men had voted once, come back dressed as women and voted a second time, and they very quietly got rid of the women's vote. Um, the thing I wanted to... Alas, I don't know if anybody objected as loudly as they should have. There's not recorded in history. But looking then ahead uh, to Susan B. Anthony, you know, she is, I think, quite rightly a little bit, you know, she's discouraged at the time that she's writing that little piece. Um, but in some sense, maybe she shouldn't have been because the revolution was already taking place over in Wyoming. Uh, a couple of years before Anthony wrote the piece um, that we just heard, which was fabulous, by the way, the Wyoming territory, and Wyoming was just a territory at the time, had included votes for women um, in that territorial constitution. And when they applied to be a state, Congress initially balked. Uh, they didn't want Wyoming to be a state if women could vote. So it was communicated back to the Wyoming legislature that, yeah, you got to get rid of this thing about women voting. That could give women in the rest of the country some ideas we don't want to give them. And to their everlasting credit, the Wyoming legislature wired back to Washington. We will stay out of the union 100 years before we come in without the women. Uh, which I, I've always liked that story. Um, and so there's my little contribution for cheering Susan B. Anthony up uh, at that point in time. Well, thank you for that. And uh, yes, indeed, the performance was fabulous. And thank you, friends who are watching. There's lots of great comments in the comment box. Elena, um, the exhibit does such a spectacular job at basically telling the story of the forces that changed public opinion, the male public opinion about uh, women's suffrage, um, 
but one of the uh, central stories that you talk about is, uh, of course, race. And our second piece, Patrice's second piece, is from Sojourner Truth. That piece was dedicated to Janae Bridges, and it's from the, her address to the Women's Rights Convention in 1851. May I say a few words? I want to say a few words about this matter. I am a woman's right. I am above 80 years old. It is about time for me to be going. I have been here 40 years a slave and 40 years free and would be here 40 years more to have equal rights for all. Uh, Elena, how, do, how does the exhibit deal with the important question of race and the right to vote? And of course, that uh, about Sojourner Truth and her central role in the fight for women's suffrage. Well, working on the exhibit and reading and learning about Sojourner Truth, um, I think her story in particular captures early on 1850s, how white women actually were manipulating her voice and her words um, in order to, in their minds, project an idea of what a formerly enslaved woman should sound like. And they often would rewrite her speeches in order to present that type of figure and that stereotype. And um, it becomes very challenging for an historian to parse that out and figure out what are the true sources. Um, when we traditionally hear that speech where she's saying, ain't I a woman, that, that did not happen. And that was an, an instance where her words were butchered to sound like that. So she's one of the earliest figures that we see how that manipulation is happening and how white women are trying to control the narrative and ultimately exclude certain black women from the movement that didn't kind of fit that type. Thank you very much for that. And you uh, convey that so powerfully in the exhibit. Uh, I'm in the comments box, a, a, a bunch of great questions. Uh, please credit the fantastic pianist. Yes, indeed, Kristen Roach. I mentioned Laura Ward at the beginning, but I must thank her again. She was so beautiful and I loved her intervention of reading the objection from white women which Janae Bridges responded to. That was an incredibly moving touch. Is the exhibit virtual as well as physical, asks Adele Nicholson. Um, we've put some of it online. Uh, Elena's given some great exhibit tours and you can go to the exhibit page. Oh, and friends, here's the most amazing thing. There are three incredible online interactives, which are all online on the interactive constitution. So you can trace early drafts of the 19th amendment and see that in the 18, in as early as 1868, one draft would have guaranteed universal suffrage for all. Uh, African-American men and women alike, but that was narrowed. There's another interactive that shows the state-by-state -state, uh, debate about the right to vote, which is riveting. And then there's one where you can actually hear the debates, which Elena and her team brought to life. So all of that is online. Go learn from it as soon as this show is over, because it's, it's so great to share this with the world. And that's, Elena, that was another just phenomenal job you guys did in putting that together. Uh, Marsha Shetland, you've uh, written powerfully about Sojourner Truth, as well as the fissure between African-American and white women during the fight for women's suffrage. Tell us about uh, Sojourner Truth and the broader uh, movements that she represented. Yes, Elena's point is well taken. And I have an illustrative example that I use with my students at Georgetown. Um, if you go to the National Cathedral in Washington, DC, they have a series of needlepoint um, cushions, prayer cushions that are supposed to represent American history. 
And the one that represents Sojourner Truth has um, the representation of cotton. And I took a picture of it and I showed it to my students and I said, at the end of the semester, you should be able to spot why this representation is wrong. And I think that um, when we think about um, African-American women in slavery, um, so much of the dominant fray, uh, frame has been Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman. And so my students are often surprised, and a lot of people are surprised, to realize that she was enslaved in New York, that she did not run away um, from slavery, that in fact she was part of the amelioration um, and gradual emancipation strategy of the state of New York, that she spoke Dutch, that her experience of enslavement was on a dairy farm. And I think that this is so critically important to understand Sojourner Truth in relationship to not only the question of race as it informed um, the political decisions of the suffrage movement, but to also understand the political uses of history as a symbol. And Sojourner Truth as a figure emerges in the 19th century and reemerges in various contexts throughout the civil rights movement. Um, women like Rosa Parks who were activists around issues of voting as well as investigating sexual violence against black women in the South. They named their clubs after Sojourner Truth. And again, we see white women um, in feminist movements in the 60s and 70s take her icon as a way of thinking about women's rights broadly. And so she is an incredible figure, not only in this question of suffrage and the question of slavery, but in religious thought, um, her own times um, as a spiritual wanderer. And so all of this is to say that at this moment, we have this incredible opportunity to go back and rethink the historical figures we've been we've been presented with, and everyone should do themselves a favor and read Nell Painter's book about Sojourner Truth, which is such a beautifully and richly done text because it not only tells her story, but it talks about the ways that we have to be so careful not to manipulate historical figures for our own purposes. Thank you for that. This program was presented in partnership with Vision 2020's Women 100 and as part of the center's year-long initiative, Women in the Constitution, celebrating the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. Also part of the Women in the Constitution initiative is our 2020 Liberty Medal Ceremony. This Thursday, the NCC will award its 32nd Liberty Medal to Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg for her efforts to advance liberty and equality for all. You can sign up to join the live stream of the special award ceremony this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at constitutioncenter.org slash liberty medal. This episode was engineered by Greg Sheckler and produced by me, Jackie McDermott, along with Tanea Tauber and Lana Ulrich. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to Live at the National Constitution Center on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and join us back here next week. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Jackie McDermott.